John chapter 9, jump right into it. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Uh, Jesus here, this story picks up right on the heels where we left off in chapter 8, really, um, where the, the, the Jewish leaders, angry uh, with Jesus, wanting to murder Jesus, they had literally picked up rocks to stone him, and he passed by, he just passed out of their midst, and uh, you know, it's, it's just astounding. Here were these religious leaders and they were so politically focused on making Israel great again that they missed their Messiah who wanted to make Israel gods again. And so they murderous intent and wanting to kill him. And with this incredible focus and anger, Jesus, completely nonplussed by it, passes by and on his way, he sees this man in need. He, he's not consumed with thoughts of self-preservation. He's not distracted by, by all of this anger and trying to, to beat feet and get out of there. No, he simply leaves and on the way notices a man that needs him and is engaged in the Father's mission and the Father's uh, will. James Boyce, in his commentary, he observes, we find Jesus calm, self-possessed, acting with a profound disregard of his enemies and uh, their hatred. Now, I make this observation because today we're going to focus on two key points. There's a lot to see in this text. Really, the overarching big idea is that the world is living in blindness. We see these religious leaders are blind, and now this man literally is blind. Um, and uh, Jesus has come to restore sight to the blind, physically and spiritually. And the great tragedy is that we're going to see these religious leaders, by the end of the story, they're just as blind as they were when Jesus started. Not so this man. But the two key points that we're going to focus on today, and really all of chapter 9, I'd love to be able to deal with it in one week, but we really need to take a couple of weeks to deal, uh, to, to really unpack what's here. But uh, two key points, God's work through Jesus, and secondly, God's work through you. This is what we're going to focus on today. Um, and I want you to take note of the fact that, that here in our story, and really Throughout the New Testament, God's work has always been carried out in a hostile world. It's always been carried out in a hostile world. It, continue, it began with Jesus, it continues with us, and we live in a world that calls evil good and good evil, and the moment that you take a stand for Jesus Christ and surrender your life to, to Jesus Christ, allowing him to rule and reign in your life, the truth is you become a target. Uh, Jesus uh, will say to his disciples when we get to John chapter 15, uh, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. <clears throat> Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That is a promise from God. It may not be a promise that we turn into a, a nice little plaque on our wall that we, that we hold to. We love the promises of God that I can do all things through God who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. But the promise of, uh, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. Uh, that's not necessarily a promise that we want to frame and put on the wall, but it is a promise. Now, here's why I'm emphasizing this point, because Jesus is going to make the point that time is short. 
that the, the time in this world is short. There's an urgency to his work. There's an urgency to his work for you. There's an urgency to his work in you. And there's an urgency to his work that he wants to do through you. And although we live in a hostile world, we can't hit the pause button and wait for the storm to pass in order to do the work. The, the, the storm is not going to pass. This life is a storm. And so we need to recognize that our, our task is to engage obediently with the Lord and do the work in the midst of the storm, just as he did his work in the midst of the storm. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And so we read that as Jesus passes through this, this angry crowd, he, he takes the time to actually take note of this man. Uh, verse one, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Verse two, and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now understand, illnesses and ailments are a fact of life, are they not? My back reminds me of that every morning when I wake up, that illnesses and ailments are a fact of life. And really, ultimately, every illness and every ailment is the result of sin in general. God told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are sure to die. And when they disobeyed God, sin entered into the human race, and the result is ultimately death. Uh, this death is physical, and it's spiritual. And physically speaking, in our bodies, it is a gradual process, right? Today, all flesh is subject to the gradual progression of disease and death as indirect results of sin. But some illnesses, some ailments, some injuries, um, you can trace as a direct result of sin. I remember on New Year's Eve in 1988, it was the end of 87, beginning of 88, it, 88 in fact had just started. And I was working as a paramedic with the fire department. We were dispatched to a traffic accident. Um, it was, if you're, if you're familiar with the area, it was off of the 215 by Louie's Nursery, right between Scott Road and Newport Road. And a car had gone off the road. And so uh, we were dispatched uh, uh, just after midnight. Uh, we went out. We searched the area high and low. Couldn't find anything. We ended up leaving. And three hours later, we were dispatched to the same area again. We went back out. We had more help this time and more people searching. And, and ultimately, we found this car that had gone off the road into the ditch on the side of the road. And we found this poor guy in there. He was still incredibly intoxicated uh, behind the wheel of the car. And sadly, uh, he, he was paralyzed from the accident. And, and so you, you might say that uh, this, this injury that he had sustained was a direct result of his sin. He had drank too much to the point to where he blacked out, drove off the road, and, and he suffered the consequences for it. Similarly, if you live your life in a bottle of booze and ultimately you get liver failure, you, you, know, you could reasonably assume, well, gosh, this is a direct result of your, of your sinful lifestyle choice or uh, if you smoke like a chimney and you get diagnosed with lung cancer, somebody might reasonably assume, well, gosh, that was a direct result of a lifestyle choice, right? And so there are indeed 
are these direct consequences of sin that result in illness and injury and death. But there's also indirect consequences of sin. Um, In Jesus's day, the prevailing belief tended to center around this idea that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so if you were born with some sort of deformity, they would make the conclusion, well, you know, you, either you sinned or your parents sinned. That's why Jesus' disciples are asking this question. This is what they've been taught. And, and I just scratched my head. I'm like, good grief. What could a kid do in his mom's womb that could, you know, oh, you've sinned, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, that was the question. So, so these guys are like, hey, look, who sinned? Notice Jesus' reply, verse 3. Uh, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Understand, Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, he's not saying that this man and his parents are entirely without sin in his answer. Uh, he's saying that his ailment is not the direct result of sin, and it's not a case of God punishing bad people. But rather, what he's saying is that this man's infirmity now serves as an opportunity for God to work. Now, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that God orchestrated his blindness. It doesn't mean that God purposefully created this man with this affliction for this precise moment. Understand, when we read the Bible today, there's punctuation that has been added. This was not in the original text. And this isn't a case where the punctuation is a little unfortunate. Because as you read verse 3, there's a comma after he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, right? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, comma, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Well, if you take it with that punctuation, it sounds like, hey, he didn't sin. God created him this way, and this is how he was supposed to be. No, <clears throat> the, really, there should be a period after that first part. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. And then you take the rest of verse 3 and verse 4, they go together. And so here's how it reads that way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming, when no one can work. <clears throat> and so the idea is that this, this isn't something that God instituted or initiated. This is just the result of living in a fallen world, but God will redeem this man's plight for his sovereign purposes. That's, that's what's, what's in view here. And this idea is reflected in Romans 8, 28, a very familiar scripture for Christians especially, which says, and we know that God causes everything to work together. It doesn't mean all things are good. It says that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to their purpose for him. <clears throat> Today, understand, when we talk about suffering, when we talk about sickness, when we talk about death, this is uh, one of those topics that everybody can relate to. And we can relate to it because we all have our time in the barrel. Right? We all have the time when we are dealing with suffering and we deal, we're dealing with sickness. We're dealing with the death of a loved one. And it's not uncommon when we go through these things that we want to know why. Why is this going on? 
Why is my child sick? Why, why did my mother die at such a young age? Or, or why did God allow my father to die by, you know, a drunk driver? Or, you know, just all of these things. I, I just recently, this last week, we had, a, we had our time of <clears throat> prayer and worship. Every, uh, every month we get together on the, on the first Tuesday of the month and we meet here for prayer and for worship and to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're just seeking the Lord. We're asking to hear from God. People share scriptures uh, and, you know, word of knowledge is given and, and, and so on. A word of exhortation might be given. It's a beautiful time of just letting the, the Holy Spirit move and work. And, and just this last week, we had a gal that was, that was here and she's dealing with the issue of, of she's gradually going blind. And as well, she's got all of these other things as if that were not enough. She's dealing with massive, massive things. And lately, she's been asking why. She's been asking why. And it is, it is, it is a common question. We want to know. And the answer is it could be one of many reasons. It could be the direct result of blatant sin. It could be, you know, sin in general, what we're dealing with. Hey, it could be demonic. We, we notice Job in the Old Testament, a guy who's just minding his own business, loving God, worshiping God in the way the text reads and shows us that, that Satan himself afflicted him and attacked him. And so it could be many reasons, but ultimately what we need to understand when we ask why is that we really at the end of the day, we don't know why. We can't say for sure. And, and the fact is, we may never know why. I like what Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary. He said, to blame a specific disability on a specific sin committed by specific persons is certainly beyond any man's ability or authority. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps and only God can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to the people and glory to his name. But listen, here's what we do know. What we do know is that suffering and sickness and disease and death are all vehicles through which God works. Speaking to the Corinthians, we read about the Apostle Paul and how sickness worked in his life as a vehicle for God to, to work through. He said, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being, becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that thorn was, but he had some sort of a physical ailment, some physical malady that bothered him greatly. And he says, he says that the thorn in his flesh was a messenger from Satan to torment him and to keep me from becoming proud. See, God used this affliction uh, in, a, in, a, in a constructive way in the apostle Paul's life, and he could point to it. We think about Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. We'll get there eventually next year sometime. And, and we're going to read about Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And they had sent for Jesus. They had say, hey, your, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. You got to get here right away. <clears throat> well, Jesus took his time coming. And Martha actually called him on it. She's like, well, why did why you dilly and dally around for crying out loud? In my paraphrase, like he, my brother would still be alive if you would have moved it for crying out loud, but you, but you took your sweet time and now he's dead. But God did that on purpose and it served as a vehicle to teach Mary and Martha faith. And, the faith. and of course he raised Lazarus from the dead and that factored in greatly into his ministry and all. God was using those circumstances. You think about the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8. Here she'd been 12 years with this issue of blood, just afflicted and suffering. And God used it in her life not only 
doing a physical healing ultimately, but he used it in her spiritual healing. And through that, if you're familiar with the story, there was also a Roman centurion. This is what kind of got the ball rolling. This Roman centurion, he had his daughter who was sick unto death, and he came to Jesus and asked if he would heal him. And they were on the way, Jesus and this Roman centurion and his disciples, they were on the way to this man's house when he encounters this woman with the issue of blood. And once again, he delays and is caring for this woman. And, and in my mind's eye, I'm thinking the Roman centurion going, come on, dude, let's go, you know, kind of thing. And then the word comes, hey, man, don't bother him. Your, your daughter's dead. But the Lord, again, working through this, this illness, working through this, this uh, delay, this, this man having to, to wait upon this, he would ultimately heal his daughter and bring his whole family to faith. And here's the point. God works through our infirmity, in, infirmities. God works in our suffering. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I told you about this gal that had come to our prayer night and she's asking the question why and we're, you know, praying together and, and you know, and, and God speaking through his word <clears throat> gave this word now that I'll put up on the screen for you, gave it to her in her circumstance Paul, writing to the Philippians, he said, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. This gal can identify. She's losing many things right now. And Paul continues, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, and this is the word that God gave to this woman in her suffering, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, what's being said here is that we know and we grow in God through fellowshipping with him, through the fellowship of his sufferings. That as we endure suffering, that <clears throat> it helps us to know the Lord better. And that was how God spoke to this woman. Listen, I'm allowing you to go through these trials and these hardships because I'm doing a work in your life. I'm doing a work through your sufferings. And we come back now to our story and, and <clears throat> excuse me, we consider this man and by any measure, <clears throat> this guy has suffered, man. He was born blind. Think about that. Never saw his mom's face. Never saw the beauty of a sunrise or the beauty of a sunset. Never saw the majesty of the stars. He will never know the love of a woman. He'll never be able to raise a family. Why? Because his days are reduced to begging for his next meal. This is the plight of the man that Jesus encounters. And notice again in verse 1 that Jesus saw him. You're given to taking notes, you could circle that word saw in verse one and nearby you could write this. You could write, see with the eyes, see with the mind, to perceive, to know, to take heed of. <clears throat> this is the idea that it wasn't a passing glance, but Jesus saw this man. And listen, whatever state 
you are in today. Maybe you come in here today and you're in the barrel and you're asking why. And you need to understand that God sees you too. He sees you in your, in your sickness. He sees you in your need. He sees you in your trial. I, I'm reminded of the song that we used to sing years ago. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. Now, some people will say, well, gosh, if God knows him, if God cares for him, if God sees him, why does he allow him to suffer in the first place? And again, the answer is twofold. Could be because we live in a fallen world that's subject to death and disease and sin in general, <clears throat> but it is entirely possible that we simply don't know and we won't know. But here's what we do know. We know that God uses it. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus is not only going to heal this man, he's going to save this man. And whatever affliction it is that he has endured, God's going to use it not only to bring glory to himself, but he's going to use it to bring this man to glory with him. And we're going to see that before we're done. And again, you just need to know today, whatever you are going through, that God will use it. God will use it. Years ago when we had built our first church, um, we, uh, we were having a dedication service and we invited Pastor Chuck Smith out to do our dedication service. And so he was there and, and, and all. And as he taught in our dedication service, he told a story about putting a puzzle together with his grandkids. And he said they were well into putting this puzzle together but he was troubled because there was one piece that didn't seem to fit. And he, in his mind, he's thinking, great. The manufacturer of this puzzle messed up, and so we got a wrong piece, and that means we're gonna put all this effort into putting this puzzle together, we're gonna get to the end of it, and not only is this piece not gonna fit, but we're not gonna have the piece that needs to fit. And he went on to tell the story, you probably know where I'm going with this, he basically said they got very close to the end of the puzzle and all of a sudden, this piece that didn't seem to fit, fit perfectly in the completion of the puzzle. And today you might be going through something and you're thinking this is just wrong and this puzzle piece doesn't fit and somebody messed up. God knows what he's doing. And so Jesus says here, look, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. It's a picture of how Jesus sent to give sight to the blind physically and spiritually. And so he sends him to this, to this pool that he's to wash with. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now, I told you when we started that there's a lot more to unpack in this story and that we're focusing on two points today. The first point is God's work through Jesus. The second point that I want to close on today is God's work through you and through me. See, Jesus emphasizes in verse four that there is an urgency to his work. 
He says there, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. Now, what's this issue of day and night? Basically, it's Jesus is speaking of the brevity of life. You know, it's been said, your life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. The point Jesus is making is, look, you need to make hay while the sun is shining. I, I'm, I'm here for a, a brief, defined period of time. You are here on this earth for a brief, defined period of time. And, and you, you need to be at work while it's the day. And, you know, in the earliest manuscripts, Jesus doesn't use the word I. He uses the word we. And so what he's saying, he's saying we must work the works of him who said us while it's the day. The night is coming when nobody can work. See, when you stop and you contemplate the details of this story, it's a huge application for you and me. See, as Jesus passed by, who saw this guy first? Jesus, that's the way the text read. He saw the man stay. He was moved with compassion to help him. You read from Genesis all the way to here in John, you'll see that no prophet, no priest, no apostle ever gave sight to the blind. But Jesus does. Why? Because he saw him. But listen, his disciples didn't see him. You go, well, wait a minute. The disciples asked about him. Yeah, they asked about him. But they were focused on his sin. Jesus was focused on his state. And they, he only got on their radar because Jesus saw him and was focused on his state. And so they're focusing on his sin. They've got no regard for this man's plight. Consider the thing. You know, here they, they, they see Jesus looking at him. They, they see this guy. <clears throat> and they're just like, hey, who sinned? This guy or his parents? This guy might be blind, but he's not deaf. I mean, he might be like, hey, I'm sitting right here. I can hear you. You know, they're just talking over him like he's just some piece of meat. Like he doesn't mean anything. And so Jesus says to us, guys, look, we must work the works of him who sent us while it is the day. Night is coming when no one can work. Time's short. There's work to be done. Now, get this. Stay with me because this is important. For Jesus, his work I got to work while it's day, night is coming. I'm only here for a short period of time. Jesus's work is to proclaim the gospel and to present himself as the Messiah. And his works always served to authenticate his message. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, where we read about John the Baptist. And it says there in Matthew 11, verses two through five, that John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And listen to how Jesus responded. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. Here's the point I want you to get for personal application is that in a very similar way, Jesus said that our works, just as his works served to authenticate his person and his, and his word, our works authenticate Jesus's message as well. 
I've got verses. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I've got another verse in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, but they put it under a bowl. Instead, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Here it is. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And look again at verse 5. That's exactly what Jesus says. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And I want you to again take note in verse 1, all of this happens as Jesus is simply passing by simply passing by. G. Campbell Morgan makes the observation that our Lord was always doing things apparently incidentally. He found his opportunities everywhere. Here's our, here's our application. I'd have you kind of take a walk with this question. Are you passing by opportunities or are opportunities passing you by? Big difference between the two. Here at Reliance Church, one of our values is missional living. And we articulate that value this way. We say we live out a genuine faith and we intentionally share that, play, that faith with others. And guys, I want you to get it. In order to do that, we have to be alert to the opportunities that are all around us. We have to see people. We have to see with the eyes. We have to see with the mind. We have to perceive. We have to know. We have to take heed of them. As we read this story, I am convinced that the disciples never would have seen this guy at all. They wouldn't have seen him all. They would have passed him by entirely. You know, when you're, when you're ready, readying your house, if you've ever sold your house, you know that the first thing that your realtor, your real estate agent will tell you is that you got to clean it up, you got to declutter, right? And, and they see stuff that, you, you know how stuff is on your counter and after a few days it just becomes invisible to you? And, and they come in and they're like, oh my gosh, you got to move, move that and that and that. And you're like, oh, I forgot. I forgot my kid stuck toothpicks in that, in that avocado seed and stuck it in the, the jar with the water and it's just been sitting there for months. It's never gonna grow. Like I should have thrown that out long and it's just become invisible to you, right? <clears throat> and our lives can be like that. And the opportunities, and these guys, I'm convinced they had just walked right by that guy, never seen him. He's just been there. It's, it's like, you know, that, that's just the dude that's here begging all the time. What happened? They saw Jesus looking at him. And looking into Jesus' eyes, they saw what he was seeing. They didn't still, even when they saw what he was seeing, they didn't see what Jesus saw. They just saw what he was seeing, but then through the conversation with Jesus, then they eventually saw as he saw. You get what I'm saying? That they saw Jesus looking at this guy, Jesus taking note of this guy, and then paying attention to that and pressing in 
they eventually saw what Jesus saw. Now, there's a ton more for us to unpack in this story. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see a contrast between, you know, it's really a story of blindness, right? Man who's physically blind, and you've got spiritual leaders who are spiritually blind. And sadly, only one of them gets healed. The, the man with physical blindness has his eyes open physically and spiritually, but the religious leaders, by the end of it, they're going to be just as blind as they were from the beginning, But Jesus, he restores this man. We're going to see him restore him spiritually. We're going to see the religious leaders just digging into their blindness. And they end up going after this poor guy. They go after his faith. They go after his testimony. They go after his parents. His parents throw him under the bus. Eventually, they kick him out of the church. This is how this story unfolds. But the good news for this man is that not only is he sight restored physically, And his life changed forever. But his eyes are open spiritually. And he'll see not only the glories that he's missed on earth, he's going to see the glories in heaven. But as we close today, I've got two points of application and then our three questions that I like to leave you with, take a walk with. First of all, for those of you that are dealing with sickness and suffering and illness and death, I want you to see that that God sees you. He knows he's working. And I would tell you, listen, you're not being punished, you're being pruned. God is faithfully at work. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect will. It's perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. For those of you that are passing by, I want you to remember that time is short and that time is right now. That we have opportunities that we pass by every single day. And if we will take the time to look into Jesus' eyes, to see where Jesus is looking, then we will see what Jesus sees and we'll be able to act on it. Three questions. Number one, Jesus didn't wait for the storm to pass before engaging in the works of God. Does this describe me or have the storms in my life rendered me inactive? These will be up at the end of the message, by the way, if you can't write that fast. Uh, Question number two, how is God trying to work in my trials today and what keeps me from trusting him in them? And third question, am I passing by opportunities or are opportunities passing me by? What can I do to change that?